It was the summer of 1998. Um, Betsy and I got an idea for a new approach to our college ministry at the church where we were serving. We had a small group of kind of motivated college students who were ready to give it a try. We spent the summer planning and preparing, and that fall we launched. Uh, And for maybe the first and last time in my ministry career, we tried something that seemed to work. And and more people came each week, week after week after week, and our our reputation grew, and we, we tweaked it a little bit over the next summer, and we came back the next fall, and it kept growing. This little church of 250 people, pretty soon we had 80 to 100 college students showing up every Friday night, and it just grew from there. Uh, As this went on for a little while, something happened to me that I think may have never happened to me before. People from other churches would call me, and they would want advice about what we were doing that was working and how it might work for them. And that made me realize I ought to figure out what were we doing that was working, because I didn't really know. I'd done plenty of other stuff. It seemed just as good as this, and none of them had worked, so I wasn't sure what was different about that. I began to do some research and investigation, ask a few people, maybe some who'd been coming for, at this point, two years. Why do you come? What do you like? Or, or somebody who'd just shown up for the first time. What had you heard about us before you came? I, I was on ETSU's campus and Milligan's campus a lot. I would meet students and say, have you ever heard about this program? And some of them had. And if, if they had, what have you heard about it? And of course, you know the answer I was looking for. I was looking for, well, it's the preaching, of course. That's why we come week after week. This young preacher is just, you know, blowing the roof off the place. How could you miss it? And no one gave that answer. Like, I asked, I actually kept interviewing people longer in the hopes that eventually someone, I mean, I was right there asking the question. They could have just thrown me a bone. Nobody gave that answer. Um, a, a few people talked about the the, the enthusiasm of that initial core group and how they had invited them to it but not very many and they didn't mention the games or the activities or the stuff we did afterwards they didn't mention the time that we met that it was a particularly good time or a particularly bad time everybody with the exception of maybe one or two people gave the same answer even if they'd never been I would say have you heard of the program yes what have you heard about it they gave the same answer as the person who'd been 10 15 times why do you keep coming back Everybody said it was the food. That's what they'd heard, and that's why they came back. You see, we had a secret weapon. One of our volunteers was this guy named Sanjay, and Sanjay knew how to get more food for less money than anybody you'd ever met. I remember the very first one of these we did, we we had no idea how many people had shown up, and my only instruction to him was, we don't have very much money, our budget is tiny, but we cannot run out of food. Like, if we run out of food the first time, like the word will get out and we can't run out of it. Eventually, if it grows, maybe we'll run out of it. We, and we didn't know how many people were going to be there. Was it going to be 10? Or was it going to be 100? Who knew? So Sanjay shows up about 15 minutes before we start. And we're all running around, bustling, hoping people come. And he drove this little hatchback back in the day. I can't remember what it was. But he pops open the back of his hatchback and it is completely full of footlong subs. Just absolutely stacked every inch of it. And I'm just going like, oh, no. You just spent our entire food budget, like right here today. We are done for the year. I was so clear. And in fact, I wasn't even able to be excited. I was like, I just said, Sanjay, budget, what are you doing? He said, no, 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 it's okay. I talked to the guy. He gave us all these subs for two bucks a piece. It's like, all right. 
And he did that week after week. He would show up with his car stacked full of pizza so much that we were giving away pizza at the end of the night. And again, I would go, budget, we talked about this. He said, no, no, it's okay. As long as you at some time during the night thank Pizza Hut for their donation, they said we could buy as many pizzas as we want for a buck fifty. You can be sure we served a lot of pizza that year. A buck fifty for a large pizza. It was amazing. And, 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 and here's what I learned. I'm sure my preaching mattered. I'm sure the, the programming mattered. I absolutely know that core group of people inviting mattered. But here's what I figured out. At least in that group, in that moment, the pizza mattered more than the preaching. In fact, in that moment, I got some clarity that has served me well the rest of my life. I got some clarity about what I have come to conclude is the most underrated spiritual gift. It's the spiritual gift of table decorations and casseroles. It's the spiritual gift of clean sheets and backyard cookouts. It's the spiritual gift of fluffed pillows and home-cooked meals. It's the spiritual gifts of seconds that you don't even have to ask for and maybe thirds and maybe fourths if you really look like you need it. It's a spiritual gift that is sometimes devalued and ignored even by people that have the gift. They think they don't really make a contribution to the church. It's a spiritual gift we so easily forget, but yet... It is a spiritual gift that has been essential to Christian mission since the very beginning. Some people even don't even think it's a spiritual gift. They don't even know it's a spiritual gift. But this gift has been the bedrock gift of Christian mission. I know people who don't think they are equipped to be missionaries because the only gift they think they have is this gift and they don't even know that this gift is actually one of the essential missionary gifts. We're talking about the gift of hospitality. Peter writes to the church, he says this, the end of all things is near. This is a really ominous way to start a little letter here. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, let them speak as if they speak the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the very strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him, not to us, but to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Peter writes, it's the end of the world. So we're going to need a few things. Here's what you need to prepare for the end of the world. Ready? You need love. You need speaking, someone to declare the truth and love of God. You need, you need serving, and you need somebody to throw the parties. I mean, right? I mean, that's what we need. He says, above all else, love, hospitality, serving, and speaking. These are the gifts that we need to prepare for the end of the world. Hospitality is a gift from God through us for others. And as far as I can tell, it's the most underrated gift in the whole church.
We totally misjudge its power and significance. We're going to talk about hospitality for two weeks. Next week, I'm going to talk about how hospitality is one of the essential gifts for the internal life of the church. That casseroles are a spiritual act that bind the church together. But this week, I want to notice on something that I think might even surprise you more. And that is that hospitality is also an essential gift for the work of the church's evangelistic mission in the world. Hospitality is essential to evangelism and the declaration of the good news that God loves everyone and that Christ has come to save us from our sins. This goes all the way back to Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry was made possible by the hospitality of others. He didn't have uh, his own funds or resources. He went from city to city counting on someone to open their home and welcome him in and let their home and their food become his home and his food as he ministered in the region. And he teaches his disciples exactly the same strategy. Luke chapter 10, he's going to send his disciples out on, on mission to declare the kingdom of God and preach the good news of Christ's salvation. But before he tells them what to say and before he tells them how to serve, he tells them about hospitality. Here's what he says. When you enter a house, say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. It was pizza. And not preaching that was the bedrock gift of evangelism. In fact, he goes on to say, and if you show up and no one offers you hospitality, don't preach. Move on to the next town. Hospitality, the the love of hospitality preceded the love expressed verbally by the good news about Jesus Christ. This, this trend continues in the early church. Everywhere Paul went, Paul depended upon the hospitality of those who received him. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. The next day we went to Neapolis. This is Paul entering the region of Macedonia, a brand new region for his ministry. He's never been here before. We traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. When she heard the message of Paul, the Lord opened her heart to respond. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. The hospitality of Lydia became Paul's base of operations, not just for his wildly effective ministry in Philippi, but throughout the whole region of Macedonia and on into Greece. It was the hospitality of the Philippians that launched the whole project of the movement of the gospel into Europe. The mission of the church literally depended on hospitality from its very earliest days. But here's what we've got to recognize. From its earliest days, it wasn't just 
that hospitality was strategically necessary for the mission of church to move forward. I mean, Paul had to have some place to stay. The disciples had to have some place to get a meal when they ministered from town to town. It wasn't just that hospitality was strategically necessary. It's also that the the work of hospitality itself was a tangible expression of God's love for all people. Jesus used hospitality to identify who he was and how much he loved everybody. His very first miracle was a miracle of hospitality. Uh, There was a party going on and the wine was about to run out and the hosts were about to be embarrassed by this lack, by this weakness in their hospitality. And so Jesus' mother says, Jesus, do do what you got to do so that the hospitality continues and Jesus goes off and changes water into wine and the hospitality of the hosts is uninterrupted. And this, this, oper- this way of using hospitality to express God's love and power just continues throughout Jesus' ministry. Early in Jesus' ministry, when he was calling his early followers, uh, he calls a guy named Levi. Luke tells us the story. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Levi went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up. He left everything and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, this was a big deal. In the ancient world, they knew what hospitality meant. Hospitality wasn't just who you happened to end up sitting next to in the cafeteria. It was an intentional expression of love and welcome and belonging and acceptance. Jesus, by co-hosting with Matthew this party where the sinners and the rejects and the outcasts were accepted, was declaring to the world in a tangible way, I love these people. And this was not just some random exception because they happened to be Matthew's friends. No, this strategy of inclusive hospitality to the outcasts and rejects of the world was a core part of how Jesus communicated his love for all people. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus goes on for the whole rest of the chapter to basically in a poetic way say, you're darn right I welcome sinners and eats with them because I love them. And what clearer way to say that than to invite them to whatever party I'm having so they can join in the fun and the festivities. Hospitality from the very beginning has been an essential strategic requirement of the mission of the church. And it has been an essential demonstration of Christ's love for all people and God's love for all people. And it was in the context, not not somehow stranger to stranger, but it was in the context of hospitality that Jesus got a chance to speak about the love of God, about the repentance that was needed, about the coming of the kingdom, about forgiveness of sins. It's amazing. You read over and over again in the life of the early church and in the life of Jesus how often pizza comes before, not after the preaching. And it's interesting, actually. 
It was the pizza that caused all the trouble. It, Jesus could say the words, God loves everybody, and nobody batted an eye. Jesus could talk about how God wanted to bring forgiveness to all peoples, and nobody put up much of a fuss. But when Jesus showed tangible hospitality to the outcasts and sinners of his day, well, the Pharisees went crazy. The people noticed. And Jesus' followers figured this out. They figured out that hospitality was one of the core ways that we express the love of God. Matthew knows that Jesus is cool with him having a party and inviting all of his friends, no matter what kind of lives they live. Paul knows that for his ministry to Jews and Gentiles to succeed, mutual hospitality is a strategic necessity. And in his letters, he explains how if we can't eat together, we cannot demonstrate the love of Christ. We've got to let our hospitality be bigger than our differences and our disagreements because that's what communicates the clarity of the gospel. Now, of course... God's people don't always get this right, do we? We don't always extend the everyone loving hospitality of Jesus. Uh, I don't know if you've been following the news in the last 10 days, but I, I've just been traumatized to see on the national news, we got a preacher down in Knoxville, and we got another group of preachers down in Orlando who are using the name of Jesus to say that we need to execute people who have same-sex attraction or who are lesbian or gay or who are questioning their sexual orientation. This is a great evil. And I know, I, I, listen, if you're a guest here today, you need to know, I, I don't, every Sunday, call out somebody who's doing something stupid in the name of Jesus. That's not who I am or what I do. But I know if some other religion, they were saying this stuff, this evil, in the name of that religion, I'd want some of their religious leaders to stand up and call it out. And so we just got to say, the Jesus of Scripture welcomed people and ate with them and included them in his circle of love before they ever changed one little bit. Before they did anything that he agreed with or liked, he said, you are welcome at my table. Come to my party. Let's share a meal with you. Pizza always came before preaching with the Jesus of the Bible. And these people who use Jesus' name to promote this terrible evil. Uh, you, you, you can't follow Jesus and hate people. Okay? Those do not go together. If you hate people, you aren't following Jesus. If you, fo if you fo are following Jesus, then you need to rid yourself of hatred of other people. Because Jesus showed hospitality to everyone. Now, we get this wrong in smaller ways, too. It's not just the big dramatic ways with the bigots on television. We get this wrong in smaller ways. Peter was in Antioch, one of, the, one of the greatest leaders of the church. But he gets some people whispering in his ear, are you sure it's okay for the Jews and Gentiles to eat together and share hospitality together? I don't know. It seems sort of off to me. And so Peter decides he won't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And Paul shows up in a rage. He says, don't you see, our mutual hospitality, even with those we disagree with, it's a core expression of the gospel. You can't articulate the gospel with your words if you aren't also articulating the gospel with your dinner table, Paul says. And some of us, I struggle with this. It's so easy when I look at my social life 
And who has shared a table with me? Who shared a meal with me? I'm telling you, it can be easy for every single one of those people to be somebody who already goes to church, who's already part of God's family, who's already on the inner circle, who already knows they're welcome at my house and belong at my backyard around my barbecue. It's so easy to fall into a rhythm where we aren't intentionally extending hospitality to people that are far from God. It's so easy to have a whole summer full of cookouts, but always invite the same people who already know they're welcome and never invite a single person who needs a little pizza before they'll hear your preaching. But when we get this right, and church, we do sometimes get it right. When we get this right, you need to know our hospitality is still one of the best ways we have to tell people God loves them. We got a lady in our church named Angie Phipps. She's getting this right. And I want, I want you to know a little bit of her story. Check this out. Serving for me um, is a way to express gratitude to Jesus for what he has done for me. Um, a way for me to share that love and grace with others. It's also a way for me to receive joy and peace and excitement through obedience. Grew up surrounded by great examples of godly servants, but probably the most important ones were my parents. Um, they were excellent examples of servants. It's just what we did, and that sort of just turned into just what I do. Serving allows me not only to hear God's Word, but actually to see it in action. I've always had a heart for the disadvantage, for those who are different from me, those who don't look like me or talk like me. I've served with our ministry downtown Johnson City at West Main with the homeless and the disadvantaged almost since its inception. I don't feel out of place. I feel very connected to the population that we're serving there and have showed up at baby showers where definitely I was the outsider, but it's so great to be introduced um, by our friends there at West Main as, hey, that's Angie, she's from our church. If you recall the parable where Jesus turns the water into wine at the banquet, it's not the guest who witnessed the miracle, it was the servants. Over a four or five year period, there's been so many things that we have seen that you know are miracles. Something's great, something's small. Um, there may be someone that I've tried to talk to over and over again, week after week after week. You know, you just get a blank stare, you get no response. But then one day out of the blue, four years down the road, they're ready to talk. And uh, that conversation, you can't cut it off. It's just like the faucet has been turned on and they keep on and keep on and keep on. And my spirit and my soul is filled with so much joy. If you're not involved, if you're interested for somewhere to serve, uh, this is a great opportunity. It's a very low pressure environment. Um, you're not required to quote scripture. You're not required to preach. Um, you don't have to have a beautiful singing voice. We're looking to connect, we're looking to serve, we're looking to show God's love, and that's what our mission is there. We all make excuses. Um, I don't have time, what would I do? 
they don't need me. I'm not equipped, but we've all heard it before. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. The reality is um, God doesn't just want to work in me, but God wants to work through me, and serving allows that to happen. If you want to see the miracle, not just hear about the miracle, not just be told about the miracle, not just find out secondhand two weeks later about the miracle, if you want to see the miracle, Angie's right. Get serving in a work of hospitality to people who don't expect it. Open your table, share a meal, sit down and share bread with somebody who doesn't expect your hospitality. That's who gets to see the miracle or those who serve alongside Jesus. Peter writes, it's the end of the world. So we're going to need some people to throw some parties and speak and serve and love, but somebody's got to throw some parties because this is an essential way we tell the world that we love them. And there's not much time. So let's party like the world's coming to an end, okay? Show hospitality to strangers and to neighbors to enemies and to co-workers, to your brother and sister in Christ, and to long-lost cousins that don't even know they're invited to be part of the family. You know, I have seen people just radically advance the mission of the gospel just by leveraging their lunch hour to intentionally share hospitality with people that are disconnected from God's love. Or leveraging their backyard to make their backyard a place where they express love through burgers and brats and baked beans. Or, or if, if you're vegan, you can do the, the grilled pineapple thing. Have you all done this? It's amazing. Just cut a whole slab of pineapple and grill it. It's the best thing you've ever eaten, so you can try that too. Uh, meat doesn't have to be involved. It is, is better, of course, but it doesn't have to be involved. <laughs> hey, here's all I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. I'm just saying maybe this summer... We're in the middle of this series. It's called Summer Cookout. Maybe in the middle of a series called Summer Cookout, you could think of a way to show hospitality to your neighbors. Like right this now, it's not coming to me. But in a series called Summer Cookout, while we're talking about summer cookouts, maybe you could think of a way to show hospitality. Can anybody think of a specific way you could during a series called Summer Cookout? Uh, it's not coming to me right now. I feel like I should have a specific example of a thing you could do over the next few weeks during a series called Summer Cookout. It's not coming to me right now, but maybe you'll think of something specific you could do to, to just tell your neighbors you love them. And remember, the pizza comes before the preaching, Okay? You could show the love of God just by stuffing their face full of food like that. You could just do that. And some of you have this gift. God has so empowered you. Here's the thing. If you have this gift, you have been given one of the very few essential evangelistic gifts. You've got it. And if anybody ever gave you the impression that your gift of hospitality was some sort of side gift over the here that wasn't really a big deal, and yeah, sure, we got to eat somehow, but, but the big gifts are over here, I am so sorry, because that just is not true, and it's not what God's Word teaches. God's Word teaches that hospitality is strategically essential for our mission of telling the whole world God loves them and Christ died to save them. 
And it is all by itself an expression of that same saving love of Christ. So if you've got somebody and you want them to know God loves them, maybe you could just invite them. Oh, you could have a cookout. That's what you could have. That was the thing I was trying to think of earlier. You could just invite them to a cookout and just share your backyard with them and a little bit of food. And and just trust that as it has since the very foundation of the church, your hospitality will communicate the love of God just as effectively as any words ever could. So fire up the barbecue, or dust off the good china if that's your speed, or just order a pizza. But find some way this summer to let your hospitality express the love of Christ to people who don't know it. Let's pray. Gracious God, we're just overwhelmed with the notion that you would invite us to your table when we didn't belong there and we had nothing to contribute and we had nothing to offer and you, you said you're welcome at, at my table of hospitality. And now if you would help us to follow your example and open our tables in hospitality as a way of letting the world know that they are loved by you. Let this be our lives this summer, our work of mission and evangelism, just to feed some people in the name of Jesus Christ so they would know they are loved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.